science, what I'm about. And what I'm about is an old school physical mentality. Okay? We're going to put a product on the field that the people of this city and region will be proud of. Because this team will represent this area. We'll play fast, we'll play downhill, we'll play aggressive. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes, we'll play every play like it's a history and a life of its own with a relentless competitive attitude. going on ladies and gentlemen good evening welcome to big blue avenue i am your host tom scavetta join alongside my lovely co-host hank and dictor hank how are you tonight i'm doing just fine tom another week another bad giants to vlog in to cover but you know what otherwise i'm doing just great how about yourself my guy doing good you know in that holiday spirit finally getting some things rolling and folks we have a action-packed show in store for you tonight if you want to give us a follow on our big blue avenue social media accounts here you go they're on the ticker right below instagram twitter and youtube at big blue avenue and make sure to follow us on review and preview sports as well like this facebook page man we're almost a week away from christmas and when the Giants have four wins in the middle of December, that tells you you're not having a good football season. So that kind of brings us into our Week 13 Giants and Chargers recap, Hank. Uh, Hank, tell me, 37-21, uh, it's not near what either of us predicted, but my gosh, what a game from Justin Herbert. He was absolutely incredible. He tore up this Giants defense like Swiss cheese. I mean, I I don't know what else I can say. Just the Giants, there was no chance the Giants were going to win this game. This was like the first game. And granted, there have been other games this season where I just knew that the Giants were going to win. But this was probably the first game that just to me, it seemed a certainty that the Giants were going to lose because you had a defense that was absolutely banged up to shreds and going up against Justin Herbert. That is absolutely a recipe for disaster, but you know what? I'm going to give credit to Justin Herbert where, where credit is due. The guy has a natural cannon for an arm. He is phenomenal. And I can't wait to see what this guy does in the league over the course of the next few years. And I can't wait to see how many big games he and Patrick Mahomes will have in the future especially tonight. That should be a really good game. I'm really excited to watch that once this show's over. They got a big one tonight. Justin Herbert, please help me out in the fantasy football playoffs. I am playing uh, a quarterfinal matchup, so I really need you to come through for me uh, on an eight-game winning streak in that league. So I would really appreciate it, Justin. But anyway, let's talk about this Giants-Chargers game, Hank. And folks, before we dive into this, if you have any questions or comments throughout the course of this segment feel free to chime in we also have a special segment later on tonight with our good friend sam cardona very excited to have her do a little pre-recording for us and then our guest of the evening 
will be Spartan Mike from New York Giants. Rush will be joining the show, the show at 7.30 p.m. So back to the Giants and Chargers. Again, this was a prototypical start for the Giants. The Chargers uh, take a lead early on in the first quarter. I know the first three possessions were punts for both sides, and then Austin Eckler gets a one-yard touchdown run, and that was his career-high ninth rushing touchdown. And it was funny. I remember Eckler watching him play behind Melvin Gordon the past couple of years, and Eckler now on, uh, I believe he's on a new deal now. This is his fifth year in the NFL. He had nine total rushing touchdowns in his first four years. This year, he has nine alone, and he only had to carry the football 12 times. So, uh, Hank, Austin Eckler, as we kind of predicted, ate up the trenches against the Giants. There was really no resistance, especially after Leonard Williams left the game with that elbow injury. And to say the least, the Chargers really ripped this defense a new one that allowed Justin Herbert to take shots downfield. Yeah, and, you know, to me, I think the fact that Justin Her- – or sorry, not Herbert – that Austin Eckler had only 67 rushing yards, like, with that one touchdown, I th- the fact that the Chargers didn't even rush the ball that much, that just goes to show you how well-rounded of a team they are. So, really, this was no surprise, and it just was another one of those games where, like, you know, the with all those those weapons on offense, the Giants just look completely overmatched. They were overmatched, but they held it close early. After they went down seven nothing, the Giants responded with a seventy five yard drive of their own, uh, one that saw Kyle Rudolph make a sixty yard catch on a third and ten. It was a catch and run, the best play. It was the longest catch of Rudolph's career. Uh, seven-play, 75-yard drive that ended in a Elijah Penny three-yard touchdown, the first touchdown reception of his career thrown from Mike Glennon, the Giants' backup quarterback. So 7-7, I'm feeling okay. You know, I, I'm still thinking the Giants are going to lose, but I'm like, all right, you know, we're into fight for this team. This team's not going to quit. Well, This was about as close as the Giants would get, Hank. The Chargers, they jump right back in. Gosh, I don't know who Joshua Palmer was before we talked about him last week on our show, but that 12-yard strike to him was a bullet from Herbert, and he made Jalen Guyton and Josh Palmer look like all pros out there. The Chargers were missing Keenan Allen. You know what? They didn't need Keenan Allen. Yeah, Yeah, not not with our banged-up defense, they didn't. And I, I do have to say, though, Putting our Giants fandom aside, that 59-yard touchdown pass was one of the most amazing throws I've ever seen, though. I'm, oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I know you probably don't want to hear me give credit to, to an opponent, but no, I, look, it's absolutely necessary. I'm not a fan like that. Look, you got to give credit to the opponent where it's due. And on that play, you know, Jalen Guyton made an outstanding 59-yard catch to give the Chargers a 24-7 to lead heading into halftime. And then in the second half, Chargers, they tack on a field goal. Palmer had another big 36-yard catch on this drive. And then the Giants, their next possession, they tried to gamble. And this is where I want you to break this down for me, Hank. Fourth and nine at their own three-yard line, Joe Judge, or I believe it wasn't their three-yard line. It's like their 30-yard line or something, Uh, right? Joe Judge attempts a fake punt. Riley Dixon throws it in the direction of Keon Cross and miserably fails, gives the ball right back to the Chargers. 
Okay. So last week, those of you who watch, you may remember I absolutely went off on Joe Judge. And make no mistake, I know I've been like a defender of the guy for about like the past year and a half, but last week it was necessary because he just was doing a lot of plays that really ticked me off, especially especially the way he wasted timeouts and went and handled the clock the wrong way. In this case, I actually didn't have a problem with what he did. Fourth and nine, you're getting crushed by a team that's far superior. You know, I'm fine with taking a risk in that situation. My problem wasn't that they didn't get it. My problem was the whole execution of it. I think the fact that you had, you went for like crossing that that definitely could have been better. But regardless, I'm really not against the idea of having a punter try to throw for a pass in fourth and nine for the most part. We saw Dixon do it last year in that Browns game. He tried to hit Nick Gates in the end zone and just completely airmailed the throw. Um, you know, it's not the play call that bothers me so much. It is the execution. You're right. And then, yep, same once, same thing last year. Same exact exactly. thing. And then once the Chargers went up 37 to seven, I'm like, okay, you know, Glennon gets sacked on back to back plays. The strip sack from Joey Bosa uh, leads to the touchdown to Jared Cook. The Giants, that drive where he was strip-sacked by Bosa, it was a 13-play drive that netted 16 yards. Have you ever heard of such a thing? Only the Giants would be able to pull something like that off. And you probably can't do that again if you try. I mean, I'd be sitting in a bingo room right now, and I'd be like, oh, 13-play, 16-yard drive. That's that's very normal. Uh, oh, my. I'm sorry. Sometimes I have to laugh to keep from crying when talking about this team over the past decade, you know? It's tough. It's tough, man. And I'll give the Giants credit, though. I get it. You know, you can say it was garbage time, but the Giants, they'd they'd be resilient. They'd score two touchdowns late. I know a lot of the backups were in, but it, it was good reps to get. For guys like Saquon Barkley, who's been battling an injury all season yet again, an 18-yard touchdown strike, and then Glennon with a seven-yard scramble, knowing when to take off with the football. People wanted to see Jake Fromm in this game. I actually wanted to see Mike Glennon because I knew the Giants had a better shot to win this football game with Mike Glennon. I'm not one for losing, but if the game got out of hand, which it did, it would have been nice to see uh, Jake Fromm get in there. Um, so we'll evaluate that a little bit later on, but I was happy that Glennon cleared concussion protocol. Um, this was really rough. And then that last interception to Nick Neiman, again, like uh, there's not much you could really do at this point, right? You're battling from behind You're two possessions down. You recovered an onside kick Dixon and Crossan made up for the, uh, fake punt on fourth down by recovering an onside kick, but to no avail. So that's kind of where we get into our pros and cons from this game, Hank. And you know what? Let's just get the bad out of the way because there is quite a bit. We talked about Justin Herbert. He now has the second most passing yards in a player's first two seasons in NFL history and joins Dan Marino as the only players with 60 or more touchdown passes in their first two NFL seasons. That's incredible. And yeah. You know what's amazing? We're seeing a lot of quarterbacks. We've seen a lot of quarterbacks in our time with, like, rocket arms. Like, when Dan Marino was in, was in the league at the time, you didn't see too many guys, like, throwing up 60 touchdown passes over the course of, the of like, 
a few seasons. This shows you how far the game has really changed since then. And I'm sure we probably won't be, I'm sure Justin Herbert probably won't be the last quarterback in our lifetime that could do that because as I've mentioned numerous times on this show, it's a quarterback's league. That it is. And Herbert, when you complete 74% of his passes, you're going to win more often than not. And you know, what's crazy. Uh, Guyton Palmer and Mike Williams all had great games and the Chargers quietly had great games from their three-headed attack. Austin Eckler, uh, Jackson, and then Joshua Kelly. The Chargers had 152 rushing yards. So, you know, they held the time of possession edge, and they were so good at running the football, the Giants really didn't have an opportunity to cause many turnovers. The Chargers weren't often getting themselves in third and long situations where the, where the percentage rate of success is much lower, as this was the second week in a row where the Giants did not force a turnover, which, you know, they had that amazing streak since week 17 of last year where they forced a turnover at every single game. But the last two weeks, they haven't done it, Hank. Two games on the road, and they needed to win at least one of them to even be in the discussion. And now, I mean, the season is long over at this point. Yeah, any thoughts of, I think, if I'm being honest, both this game and I guess you could say the Miami game were kind of a a pipe dream to a certain extent. But, like, now at this point, it's like, yeah, I'm. I'm just. I'm not surprised. It's. It's the same things that we've been seeing all year long. Giants can't, can't stop the run. Justin. Ter- Justin Herbert absolutely torching on. Uh, torching us, and you know, to get back a little bit to the quarterback, I would have been fine with starting Josh from or Jake Fromm's. Jeez, oh, I can't even talk today. But you know, in fairness, would I really be losing sleep over who's starting a quarterback for the Giants for the rest of the season? No. Honestly, no. To me, Mike Glennon and Jake Fromm are like the same guy. That's that's basically how I look at them. I'm sorry to say it, but that's true. Yeah. Um, Mike Glennon has not won a start since 2017, week three, when he was the starter for the Chicago Bears. That's when they were grooming Mitch Trubisky. Uh, Glennon was their guy. They gave him that big deal that came back to slap the Chicago Bears in the face and that they're still recovering from. Yeah. Um, <laughs> also, Kenny Galladay. The Chargers secondary was insane. Chris Harris, who was on the COVID list during the week, ended up playing, had three passes defended. Michael Davis had four passes defended, including one tackle for loss. And Kenny Galladay, it's not like he wasn't targeted. He was targeted eight times, had just two catches for 15 yards. Unacceptable. Unacceptable. People are saying, well, why did you sign him? Kenny Galladay is not the problem coaching the scheme the protection the injuries up front I mean Dave Gettleman did not draft enough offensive line depth uh for the Giants to have success this year he set up Daniel Jones to fail that's why he's hurt again um Evan Ingram one catch for eight yards and by the way that catch did come in I guess quote unquote garbage time why am I not we say I mean how, how much more can we shoot this team into the ground? I mean, they've lost five straight to the Chargers now. And, by the way, this is the ninth time in the last ten years the Giants have clinched a losing record. But 
we do have some positives to go over. It's not all negative here wait, on the wait, show. Wait, there are actually positives in this game? There are. There are. Um, actually, no, I'll tell you one of them, that it ended. What's that? That it ended. Oh, well, that's that's always a uh, – you got me there. You, you got me <laughs> thinking for a second. Uh, Devontae Booker, 50-plus scrimmage yards in seven games this season. He has been a nice – addition to this football team. I'm still not a fan of the contract. And we have a comment here from Sean Militello. Should Eli come out of retirement? I wish, but it's not going Mm -hmm. to happen. Uh, Look, people took Eli for granted. And I was saying this when everybody wanted Eli gone, you know, yes, there was a, a decline in his play, but the Giants set him up to fail in his late years. And now we're seeing how great we had it with Eli because he knew he was going to be under center every week. Now we're scrambling to figure out who the hell is going to be under center. We didn't even know until like, I think Thursday or Friday afternoon that it was going to be Mike Glenn. I don't even think last week on the show we knew. I mean, let, let me put it to you this way. I did my video on Jake Fromm thinking that there was a really high percentage of a chance that he was going to be the starting quarterback. Mm -hmm. That tells you all you need to know. Yeah. Yep. Which, by the way, great, great job on that video. Uh, blew up on our YouTube channel. Make sure to subscribe Thank to our you. YouTube Thank channel if you haven't already for some more daily content. And our friend Sam Cardona says hello. Hello, friends. How are you guys? Sam, Sam. in just about five minutes from now, we're going to be playing a short clip from you before we bring on our guest talking about Michael Strahan going into space this past weekend. So really looking forward to watching that short clip from Sam Cardona. Sam, we missed you here on the live shows. Really appreciate your comment. As always, stay tuned for that. But quickly, let's go over some other positives. Um, Barkley had his best game rushing on the season, averaged four yards a clip. That was nice to see. Again, this is not where you want him to be, but it's starting to trend in the right direction. We bash Billy Price every week on the show and talk about how he's our least favorite giant, but – We always give credit where credit is due. Billy Price's game has improved. He has not been the worst offensive lineman. The two worst offensive linemen have been the two offensive linemen that have been available all season. It's been Nate Solder and it's been Will Hernandez. They can't get anything going behind them. Uh, We haven't heard Billy Price's name that much recently, so we can't really shit on him, right? Um, As crazy as that sounds, and – uh, Barkley scored a touchdown, which was great to see. It was the first time since what week seven, week eight, that the Giants scored, that a Giants receiver or running back scored a touchdown. Embarrassing, Good really Lord. embarrassing. Good um, really embarrassing. And then the Giants converted seven third downs, so they were able to stay on the football field. Well, I'm sure a lot of those third down conversions came in that fourth quarter, but. I was going to say that had to have been later on. (laughs) Some other positives I like to take Aaron Robinson. I know he's on the COVID list, but continuing to mature as the number two quarterback filling in for Dory Jackson. And then of course, Darnay Holmes is on the short term IR. Hopefully we get him back. And then Aziz Ojolari extended the rookie record to seven and a half sacks. So congrats Aziz. With an asterisk. Hank, is he our player of the week? Uh, no, I don't think he is our player of the week. We do have another player on the defensive side of the ball that is the player of the week, though. Yeah. And I believe and our player of the week is none other 
than Dexter Lawrence. Sexy Dexy, we like to call him. Uh, yes, sir. So in his third year in the NFL, Hank, why don't you take us through these logistics here and tell him why and tell the folks why we picked Dexter Lawrence, because we had a little bit of a discussion. We were trending towards Barkley, but then we thought about it a little more and picked Dexter Lawrence. So while yes, I, I, I agree. Saquon Barkley would have been an interesting choice. The reason that ultimately Tom and I couldn't give it to him is because as much as he's improving, that's something I wish I could have seen all year long. Maybe it's because, like, we have a higher standard for Saquon Barkley, but also not to mention, like we said earlier, that touchdown happened with, within garbage time of the game. So it, all things considered, I didn't think it would really be fair to give him that and under those circumstances. However, with that being said, let's talk about Dexter Lawrence. In this game, seven tackles, one sack. One of those tackles is for a loss, three quarterback hits. So out of all the players on the defense, I think he by far had the most pressures on Justin Herbert. So – that definitely is worth something if you can take out any positive this game. Played yeah. 85% of the snaps, which is the highest he's played this season. Matter of fact, that sack he had in that game was his first since week seven against the Carolina Panthers. And on the season, he has now improved to 45 tackles, 23 solo, two and a half sacks, one forced fumble, two passes deflected, and eight quarterback hits. And I would have to say this was probably his best game of the season. And since he was all over the place and since his performance was really the only one on our side at, on either side that really stood out to me, I think you have to give it to Dexter Lawrence. It's really, it really is more of a no brainer. Like the more you really think about it. Well, yeah, especially after Leonard Williams left the game, uh, you know, Danny Shelton has been the worst band day I've ever seen. So somebody had to step up and make plays and Dexter Lawrence finally doing it uh, this season, you know, he, he's been pretty solid his first two years. This season was a little bit of a disappointment until uh, these recent weeks. He's been starting to play a little better. Uh, Joe Judge told his players not to quit. They didn't quit. The discipline was much better. The Giants only had three penalties in this game. And now some of the key takeaways. Well, we know the extent of Leonard Williams' injury. It is not season-ending. Leonard Williams, in fact, this is his seventh year in the NFL. He's never missed a game. He's never missed a game. He could miss a game for the first time in a seven-year career. I think he will play, but I'm not 100% sure. And, hey, I didn't know this, but he leads the league in tackles among interior defensive linemen. That's, That's a crazy. stat for you. Wow. That's a stat for you. Um couple other things the Giants are the only team in the NFL to not have a player with either three or more rushing touchdowns and three or more receiving touchdowns this season not that really why am I why am I not surprised matter to me much if we were winning games these numbers wouldn't matter to me as much but we're not winning football games and that's part of the reason why uh rumor has it Dave Gettleman will be gone after this season Hank as I predicted he will retire and not get fired the Giants are pretty much firing him by forcing him to retire. Although Gettleman around that 70-year age range, he's on his way out anyway. Uh, but Joe Judge, it's reported that he will stay as the head coach. And granted, the team has been banged up this year. In year number two, he has not been dealt a very talented roster that has given him depth. Um, mm -hmm. People, John Maris compared him to Bill Parcells. What do you think of this? I think that's a stretch, to be honest with you. Like, I'm not saying that's not me going off on Joe Judge. I'm just saying 
those are two different coaches of two different eras. I don't think it's really fair to compare him after only two and a, after only like two years to like a guy who's already a legend and who's in the Hall of Fame. Right. So I think comparing him not not only to him but to Bill Belichick too, and saying that he's your little Bill, I think that's I think that's way too far. However, with that being said, there is one interesting comparison I could make to Bill Parcells. As you obviously know, in 1983, the Giants went 3-12-1. That was may have been Bill Parcells' first year, but remember, this guy was on the chopping block. George Young wanted to hire Howard Schellenberger out of the U- University of Miami, but only after the season did he realize, hey, maybe I'm being too rash. It's only one season. I'm going to give Bill Par- Parcells a second chance. However, yep. what did happen with Bill Parcells, as you obviously know, if you know your Giants history, he ab- he obviously went soul searching. He realized, hey, what I'm doing is not working. I got to make some changes and I got to do things my way. And so, you know, as someone who, even though I've defended Joe Judge, I have also been very critical of him when when need be. And trust me, there have been plenty of times where I've had to be critical of Joe Judge. Maybe he end up has has he has that moment where he has that same epiphany. Like maybe he realizes, hey, maybe there's certain things I need to adjust. Maybe what I'm doing is not working and maybe, Hey, you know, I just have to do things my way. Who knows? Yep. But that's like more of a glass half full approach. So at the end of the day, I really don't know. Yeah. I mean, look, we're both pro Joe judge, but we have not been too kind on him the last few weeks, but at this time we're going to transition into something that's a little more of a lighter note, Michael Strahan going to space Um, We're going to play the segment from our third co-host, Sam Cardona, the girl who talks sports. Once this is adjourned, we will bring on our guest for the evening, Spartan Mike. Uh, I'm going to share my screen and we will be right back. What's up, guys? Uh, Sam here. Very excited to finally be doing my first pre-recorded segment for you guys on Big Blue Avenue. Tom and Hank, hello, guys. I'm so excited to finally have a chance to record something and be on the show again. Um, I miss it a ton. I miss talking to you guys about the Giants. But the segment that I'm talking about today is something I reached out to Tom and Hank about to discuss on my own segment because it was like the most outlandish thing and I'm still trying to wrap my brain around it but we are going to talk about Michael Strahan going to space and Michael Strahan obviously one of the greatest New York Giants to come out of this organization most successful talented we love Michael Strahan he is fantastic and amazing and wonderful Um, so Michael Strahan went to space and I wanted to talk about this because It just seems so crazy that I never thought in a million years in my lifetime that I would say that a football player that I saw win a Super Bowl would also be in space travel. It is just, it's so crazy. So I have an ABC News article in front of me that I'm going to kind of be reading some of this information off of to tell you guys about Michael Strahan's space experience. So first things first, this happened on December 11th. Um, and this is the rocket that he was in was called the Blue Origin, which is um, very uh, appropriate. 
being that it's blue origin, obviously. Um, and this was the rocket's third human flight this year um, and marked the first with a full astronaut manifest of six crew members. So the six crew members included, obviously, Michael Strahan, um, Alan Shepard's daughter, uh, who, if you don't know, Alan Shepard was a astronaut, and four paying customers, four people paid. I don't even know the amount of money, but four people paid to be in the Blue Origin and take off. So this mission was 10 minutes and 13 seconds with a maximum ascent velocity of 2,244 miles per hour. And for our European people that watch, because I know that there are some people over across the pond, uh, that is 3,611 kilometers per hour or kilometers, sorry. Uh, So that is just an outlandish thing to think about in and of itself is going that fast. Um, And I know that I saw somewhere that Michael Strahan got a glimpse of his face with the G-force, like the, it was pulling on his face because you're going so fast that he was like, yeah, that's what I'm going to look like when I'm 85 years old. So Michael Strahan has seen into the future um, about what his, uh, what his entire face will look like when he's older. Um, and I have some post-space flight thoughts from Michael Strahan in front of me. So I'll read you his quote. It's such almost an out-of-body experience. It's hard to even believe it happened. It's a crazy feeling, like the feeling of weightlessness, the feeling when the booster goes off, the rocket goes off, and it detaches, and you don't know what's up from down. And your body just goes like this, and you take off your seatbelt, but naturally, it feels natural to move. You actually have to push off of things and touch them very gently, but it feels very natural. And when he's talking about that, he's talking about the fact that there's no gravity in space as we know and you're kind of floating around and you know they sent him up there and he got up there and then they they let him move around for about three to four minutes the crew and they kind of got a you know whole idea of what space is i guess because it's how do you and also it's just the idea of how do you grasp that how do you put take what you're looking at and process it in your brain and then, like, come back down to Earth and, like, share that. So I feel like Michael Strahan is probably one of the best people to do this because of how well he can formulate a lot of his thoughts and how good he is at speaking and everything like that. So it is just, I don't even know how I would react if I was in space. I mean, you're in a part of the universe that you never even thought you'd be in. There's nothing around. There's no gravity. It's a, it's a wild, wild experience. Um, so afterwards they come back down, Jeff Bezos welcomes everybody back. Um, everybody gives lots of hugs and Michael Strahan now wants to go back to space, which one space travel is enough. I will, I won't lie to you guys. I was a little nervous about this and I sent out a tweet that said, if Michael Strahan goes up to space and does not come down, I will be suing Jeff Bezos for trauma because I, what is a world without Michael Strahan? Like, let's be honest. So hopefully I'm glad everything is safe. I'm glad everybody's okay. And I know that they take a lot of precautions in this, but anything is possible. Anything can happen within this. So I know he wants to go back, but I'm like, all right, all right, Michael, let's, let's take a moment to just figure it out first before we, uh, before we go back up into space. But it's also just a wild concept to think about that, 
this happened on Saturday. He was supposed to go Thursday, uh, but it was too windy. So they didn't send them up into space. So they had him back on for Thursday night football. And he was like, yeah, I'm going to go to space on Saturday. And then Sunday I'll be on the show for the football games. What a idea that Michael Strahan (laughs) was like, yeah, Saturday's no good for me. I have to go to space. But Sunday, Sunday football's on. I can't, I can't miss football. So Saturday I'll be in space, but Sunday I'll be there for the show. Like, I can't even, the, the, the thought process is so funny to me. But that is what I wanted to chat with you guys about today. Tom and Hank, thank you so much for letting me go on my little Michael Strahan space rant. Um, in our first pre-recorded segment, hopefully in the next couple of weeks, we'll have a few more of these, uh, maybe some tea, whatever's going on. Um, and I am super thankful of Tom and Hank for letting me do this. Guys, keep on keeping on and let's go Giants. Wow, that, that was awesome. I I love that. It's like, eh, I'll go to space next day. No big deal. I'll be back to talk football on Sundays. And then eh, maybe a few days later, I go go to MSG and I watch Steph Curry break a record. Pretty good life, isn't it? <laughs> it sure is. That was Sam Cardona, the girl who talks sports, our other co-host here on Big Blue Avenue. And you can catch that segment exclusively on our YouTube channel at Big Blue Avenue. We'll re-up our ticker here. And up next... Our guest for the evening, Spartan Mike from New York's Giants Rush, joins the show. Spartan Mike, how are you? Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Guys, absolutely. It's a pleasure being here. You guys have a great show. And, you know, there's a lot of Giants uh, football to talk, of course. Uh, Unfortunately, a lot of it's negative. Um, uh, I, I think it's pretty funny that, yeah, the best thing we had to look forward to this season is our former defensive end going into outer space. Uh, But... You know, for for better or worse, I, I you know feel like I have a few thoughts as to what the Giants can do moving forward, and I'm sure you guys do as well. Uh, but of course, we're all just hoping they actually pull forward and make moves to push the team in the right direction. Absolutely. Well, Hank and I are stoked to have you on tonight. Um, I did get to catch your uh, recording a couple days ago, but before I get there, mm-hmm. just so that our folks get a little background on you, get a little familiar with who you are. Um, you, you were a Super Bowl 42 attendee, but how did you get started with Giants Rush? So I originally started out as a fan of New York Giants Rush. Uh, they always had great segments and it was interactive with the fans. So I felt like I was a part of, um, you know, like I was really part of the broadcast in, in a way. Uh, and then Craig, who runs it, um, he reached out to me a couple months ago and he said, Hey, you know, I, I, I see your tweets. I'm thinking about bringing you on. Uh, what are your thoughts? And I was like, you know, I, I'd like to, uh, yeah, I, I'd like to get involved in some way. I'll send you a couple of articles and maybe we can kind of go from there. Uh, and you know, he's brought me on ever since. And, and I'm glad because I absolutely love talking giants football. Giants are my number one passion. Uh, and it's been extremely exciting within a couple months. You know, as you said, we've gotten to interview some, uh, cool people, uh, and yeah, like, like again, the other day, uh, David Deal came on the uh, podcast, so it's it's been a lot of fun so far. Dave Deal, I love that yeah. guy. Um, what was that interview like? I actually watched it last night when I was prepping for our segment. I watched you guys interview him, and we did have Craig on the show, Santucci, about a month ago, um, and he was awesome to talk to as well. But 
Uh, David Deal, I always pictured him as a very down-to-earth guy that likes talking to people. What was that interview like with him, and what were his thoughts on the Giants' current offensive line situation? Yeah, you absolutely hit the nail on the head with uh, with David Deal and, and you know what you would expect in his personality. What, what was interesting was he he's two things. He's the epitome of a great offensive lineman. He's extremely tough, and he's extremely smart. Now, I didn't want to go into the interview the other night and ask him too many pressing questions about the Giants because I always figured they have to be a little careful about what they say. Dave really didn't hold back about his his opinions and his feelings about the Giants, the mismanagement, the game planning, the play calling. Uh, you know, when, when it comes to the offensive line, I, I feel like I brought up a question to him. In, in 04, Giants supposedly had the worst offensive line in football. Joe Theismann said that in a broadcast. In 2005, the next year, uh, the, the problem seemingly was fixed. And, you know, what did it take to, to get to that point? And he said that, you know, they, they were a group of relatively younger guys who were extremely dedicated and focused um, and, and working together. And he said that, you know, as time went on, him and Soybert doing uh, down blocks together, right, uh, combo blocks, it just felt like it was second nature. Uh, but, it, again, it also comes back to the, the intelligence aspect of it. Uh, David Deal said, you know, he's a rookie. He was a fifth-round draft pick. And he said that in his first meeting, you know, they're going over plays. Most of the guys hadn't studied it yet. David Deal went up to the board and outlined every uh, every objective of every play for the tight end, the guards, the tackles, and the center. So he just had – everybody on that offensive line just, you know, brought it to a different level in terms of, um, you know, the the effort that they put in, the work effort that they put in. And then, like I said, he said him and Kareem McKenzie would, uh, on every play, it would be like third and nine. It's like, okay, uh, the statistics that they do a blitz here is, you know, X percent. Statistics they they drop back into coverage is this percent. I, I don't really feel like I see that out of a lot of the Giants' offensive linemen. The only one I see that of is Nick Gates. He agreed with that. Uh, the rest of them, it, it just doesn't seem like they're kind of bringing that. They never really focused on their own development. Yeah, Gates is kind of like a modern David Deal in a sense, Definitely. I feel like. Um, Only undrafted guy, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I know, Hank, you're going to get into some of the X's and O's questions now, but I just wanted to hit on that. I thought that was an excellent cool. interview you guys did last night. So if you haven't checked it out yet, make sure to go check it out. Uh, it's up on NewYorkGiantsRush.com, correct? Correct, yeah. And then it, there's a link to our YouTube channel, and it can be watched there. But terrific guy. It really was. That's awesome. I've also always been a David Deal fan. He was all, he was definitely one of my favorite offensive linemen all the time. But now, obviously, unfortunately, we got to get in a little bit into the current Giants. And <laughs> first of all, getting into this week, what do you make of the Giants' mini COVID outbreak, and how do you think that's going to impact defense? Yeah, that's not looking good. I mean, there's a lot of uh, players that we depend on that have COVID right now that probably aren't going to be able to play on Sunday. Uh, and look, I mean, I did not – with everybody healthy, I wouldn't expect a win against Dallas – uh, they're playing extremely good football. They they have the talent all over the field. Uh, so to find out that you know we have a lot of guys that are are um, that have COVID right now, I mean I I just hope when we get out of this game alive. For for your information, the spread is still ten and a half points, guys. I think we can make a lot of money this weekend. <laughs> I don't know about you. Uh, I'm not taking my chances. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Sometimes. You know, sometimes it disappoints. I've, I've tried betting against the Giants before, and it's like we would lose, and then I lose the money anyway, so it's not worth it. <laughs> no, just can't do it. Yeah. 
And it, but anyways, another thing I got to ask. So we know that Leonard Williams is also questionable ne- this week. Who's going to have to step up for the big cap if he's if he's not going to be able to play? Well, I'm, I mean, you know, I, I I think a couple of our players are really going to have to shine this weekend. We got Ojolari, right? Uh, mm-hmm. I, and I don't think he has COVID. Correct me if I'm wrong about that. No, he's he, safe for now. Yeah, he's got seven and a half sacks on the season, right? So he's doing very well for a rookie. There's no doubt about it. I would love to see him step up from, from a guy that's showing serious flashes of potential and then just prove that he is a consistent playmaker on every single play. I want to see that out of him. Uh, now, of course, he stepped it up more so than all the other Giants uh, defensive players, I feel like, this past year, mm-hmm. especially as a rookie. So I can't really like lean on him too much. He's already been kind of doing that. I, I really want to see, and you guys brought it up earlier. Dexter Lawrence has been playing pretty good, fo- played pretty good football this past week against the Chargers. A lot of people have been looking past him in his development uh, in, in the past couple of years, and I, I still think he's a pretty underrated Giant. I definitely want to see him prove that he's a consistent player as well. Uh, and then you know, for everybody else, I mean, we're, we're, we're with the COVID outbreak, I mean, we're kind of into the backups with our, our secondary. So I'm just hoping maybe some of these guys can get in there and prove that maybe, hey, you know, we, we didn't see them play. But now that we're seeing them get their chance, uh, they can show that they could potentially be the guy, right? Especially if we, have to, if we have to move on to certain players under certain circumstances. Yeah, I mean, I like how you touched on Ojolari there. My biggest thing is who the hell is going to start at that number two cornerback position? Because right now it's slated to be Jaron Williams out of the University of Albany, and that is not good. Dory Jackson is out. Robinson is on the COVID list. Uh, I think, I don't know if he's officially been ruled out yet. I can't keep up. There's so many names, Mike, that just keep getting added to the list every single day. I know. Uh, Keon Crossan is a special teams guy. I don't expect to see him on defense at all. Maybe Julian Love. Maybe you insert him in there. I have no idea. I would expect him to do that and you know, throw Love in there. Uh, yeah, as you said, University of Albany. I mean, geez, I mean, I don't – what wide receiver was he getting a chance to play against that really got to the next level in football, right? So I, I don't know what to expect out of him. Uh, granted, we do a bend, don't break defense anyway, so mm. it doesn't. It wouldn't have mattered if we had Patrick Peterson out there. We probably would have given up 400 yards anyway. So, yeah, no, that's definitely a good point. But back to Ojolari for a minute. Sure, his rookie year. I mean, we talked about how explosive he's been. What would you say is his strongest asset? Because this was a guy that I thought the Giants might take in the first round, mm-hmm. but obviously he dipped all the way to the second, and this turned out to be a real steal for this Giants team. I think that Ojolari is a pretty smart guy, and he seems to be able to read the field pretty well and kind of detect, you know, what uh, what plays might be coming, where the running back might be, and uh, his ability to read the quarterback has been uh, extremely important uh, with his playing ability. I, and that's really what it comes down to. He's finding ways to make plays, especially you know when it comes to getting to the quarterback. And there's a lot of plays where he's not even getting the sack, but he's, he's the one that's causing the pressure or causing the, the um, you know, forced plays and, and the mistakes. Uh, so I, I think that's really it. I mean, he, he's kind of bringing what David Deal talked about, that intelligence and that ability to think three-dimensional on the football field and know what your opponents are going to do. He's not just going out there and, and you know, uh, hoping that certain plays unfold and, and then he gets kind of lucky or uses some athletic ability to get there. 
he is extremely athletic, but it, it's his ability to really read the field and get to the quarterback or get to the running back and expose uh, those plays has been his uh, strongest point in my in my view. Yeah, we all love Aziz Ojolari. The way he moves off the line, too, at yeah. that five-tech position. Um, obviously, the, the big thing for him this offseason is to put on a little bit of weight, right. make it a little stronger. Uh, we know his quickness and elusiveness is there. But, um, yeah, he's been a real diamond in the rough for this team. Now, COVID has not just hit our defense. It's also hit our offense. Kadarius Toney, who's had uh, a roller coaster rookie season, John Ross, is on that list as well. Yeah. So that leaves us with Galladay, Slayton, Shepard, and um, gosh, I can't even think, Colin Johnson maybe. So I, I don't know who else would, would, would be left. Uh, other than Saquon Barkley, who are you looking at on this Giants offense? It could be at the receiver position or wherever to step up and make some plays. Because obviously last week in that game, uh, Barkley was the guy, but there was no complimentary piece, right? We talked about Galladay and Ingram were both overshot. I mean, they weren't even factors. Right, right. Um, you know, I, I think, unfortunately, I'm at a point now with the offense where I don't feel like anybody has proven their worth to me and, um, you know, the throughout this entire season. I would like to just see maybe one of them. I don't care who it is at this point. I, I just one of them have an explosive game where they're going off uh, and, and prove that they could kind of be here next year. I, I'll be honest, you know, if, it, if, if Saquon was playing, right. I would, I even really want him to go off the next couple of weeks. Cause he would be owed a second contract right. and he's going to probably demand a lot of money. I don't think it's sensible at this point mm. to, double down on save one just because of the injury situation. Um, and yeah, you know, unfortunately, I mean, I'm trying to think of any of the the weapons that we have. If Tony wasn't, didn't have COVID, he'd be the guy. I just want to finally see it come together for that dude. He, but there's been a complete misuse of our players as it is. I feel like we do have talent on this team with, with Galladay and Tony, but you know, it's almost like, I feel like the biggest struggle with judge is his ability to recognize or, or to use, these players to the best of their abilities, uh, you know, because they're running plays that it just doesn't seem like Tony uh, is, is running the routes that made him successful in Florida. You don't have Galladay running this, the routes that made him successful elsewhere. And quite honestly, I, I just don't see that aspect of it changing. It's really rough too, because yeah. the, the Giants have just been, Hank has mentioned how this offense is trying to solve advanced calculus when they move down the football field this season. It's a real shame. And I think I'm not exaggerating. We spoke to, I forget who it was, Hank. I think it was the real football fans of New Jersey. We spoke to them a few weeks back and we talked to both of those ladies and they said that, um, well, actually we told them like, we think the biggest missing piece that has really hurt this offense is Caden Smith because yeah, he, I agree with he that. He is the catalyst behind our run blocking scheme. Yeah, he's basically another offensive lineman, and the team has really missed him this season with his knee injury. And before we put him on the short term IR list, he was battling that knee injury. And like we're wondering, well, why aren't they throwing Caden the ball? Well, there, there's a reason why. And the guy's playing hurt all season long. Right. Um, 
I think you move on from Ingram and make him the tight end one next year because we've seen in the past the Giants have been able to win with subpar tight ends, whether it's been uh, Jake Ballard. Uh, Kevin Boss wasn't a subpar tight end, but you get the point that I'm trying to make, Mike. It's, it's that these yeah. we don't need to invest so much money in these talented players when the priority should be fix both sides of the trenches and totally. have average skilled players, have one really good one, but then – Build the rest around. You don't need superstars at every position on this roster. You can have a weakness here or there. Good yeah. teams find a way to cover that up. There, there's a part of that that I really agree with. If you, if you look at teams um, that really succeed offensively, right? It's not like they have one really, really good wide receiver and then, you know, a couple other scrub wide receivers, right? You, you can't, because the problem is, you know, a lot of the cap money is going to that one guy. Wide receivers get hurt all the time. They get hurt, forget about it. Your season's pretty much over. It does seem to be more beneficial, and we saw that with the Giants, to have multiple wide receivers that are very good and that you can depend on, but not like one single guy that's like the all-star, perennial, pro, uh, all-pro. I went back and did some analysis the last 20, uh, last 20 teams to win the Super Bowl. The wide receivers making the Pro Bowl that year, like on their respective Super Bowl teams, it was very rare. It was very rare. I mean, I, I think in the analysis, it, it wasn't until I really came across the Colts in 2006 where they had two, right? But if you guys go back and look, there's not that many. I will tell you, though, this is the one piece that I, I disagree with a little bit because in that analysis, I actually found that a stud tight end was a lot more valuable than I had anticipated. And if you look at the last few Super Bowl winners, obviously Gronk, you know, he was with the Patriots, so that accounts for a lot of them. But you also had Zach Ertz. And you also had Travis Kels. I think that if you have a big tight end that is able to stretch the field, it creates nightmares uh, for the defense. I don't think Ingram's doing that because the, the, we look at Ingram as he's not a blocking tight end. and He's not really a guy that's stretched in the middle of the field. He's just another receiver pretty much. But he can't even really do that all that effectively. So I, I just feel like he's kind of a waste as a, a player as it is. Right? We want him to be that. Antonio Gates, you know, the guy, okay, he can't block fine, doesn't do the middle field stretching, not tough to cover, but at least could he be a solid receiving tight end? He doesn't do it. He just looks like he should. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, and, absolutely. That, that, that is a good point. Yeah. That, that definitely is yeah. a good point. And, and don't agree, uh, it's very tough to find a, a solid tight end like, like Kels <laughs> and, and, and Gronk. Borderline impossible. So, Ingram, <laughs> right, Steve, you're absolutely correct about that. And um, speaking of the offense, I think this is another question worth asking. Mm -hmm. How on earth can the Giants pull off this upset if Mike Glennon and or possibly Jake Fromm is under center? Wow, that's a really good question. Uh, Look, I try to think back. What would be more tough? This team with all the illnesses and, and, and the dysfunction going on to beat the Cowboys this weekend? or Giants to win Super Bowl 42. It's really tough for me to try to decipher this one. <laughs> uh, look, if they want to create an upset, they're going to have to do a few things. Um, give Booker the ball, see see what he can do, see if he can get some, some – I don't expect him to get explosive plays, but they're going to have to eat that clock away if they want to try to uh, minimize the impact of the Cowboys' offense. The next thing that they're going to have to do is they're going to create have to create turnovers. I think – the Giants defense can do that. They did it against Philadelphia. Uh, but again, this is where Ojalar is going to have to step up. If he can make like a rude awakening uh, against the Cowboys um, 
and and get to Dak, I feel like that's our best chance right there. You know, but if we can't just go through the normal uh, procedures here and, and play, you know, a good a good steady game, it's just not going to work. And the pass attack, forget about it. I have no faith in it at this point. Yeah, we're looking at a team that's missing a third of, a third of their roster at this point, right. whether it's due to injury or COVID. So we're already at a huge disadvantage. I, I mean. I mean, we'll talk about who's in and who's out in just a few moments. But, Hank, I know we wanted to talk about some of the challenges as well that Dallas presents. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I would say one guy in particular that's going to be a, a problem, somebody watch would be, uh, I don't know, maybe Micah Parsons, the guy who is already getting comparisons to a certain great linebacker that we had in the 1980s. But By our own player that's making the comparison. Oh my God. Yeah, I hate those comparisons. Yeah, he uh, look. I, I, I when it comes to Dallas, uh, you know, over the last twenty five years, they're not all they're all that successful, right? They haven't been in the NFC Championship in years. Um, they they, but what what they do succeed in is they are very good talent evaluators. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't bring it together all the time. You know, a lot of times they'll have eight all, uh, Pro Bowls on the team and go you know seven and nine, but. You know, they do find ways to analyze talent, but I do feel like when they draft these players, we all know they're pretty good. And then I am left to, like, scratch my head as to why the Giants didn't consider them. And a lot of times it's, you know, I, they might have, like, a like a minor offense. I forget what, what the controversy was around Micah Parsons, but he was, correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't he the next guy taken after Tony? I, Parsons was back after us? 12 because well, no, Dallas traded, traded back. back. Yeah, he would have been. So he would have been the pick after us, but we traded back. So Parsons was twelve. Traded back, right? Right. Yeah. Um, you know, he he is making a serious impact as a lot of uh, analysts figured that he would. I, I sit there kind of disappointed in, in in the sense it's like you know we we could have used a player like that, um, a stud edge, right? Over, and I'm not saying I mean Tony's got a lot to prove. He's obviously been hurt, but. Uh, Wide receivers, like we said, even if he made an unbelievable impact, uh, it's it, we'd be wrapped up in kind of cap hell for a star receiver. So I don't know if that was necessarily worth it. Mike is going to give us serious trouble. I am expecting uh, our offensive line to struggle uh, if he's trying to attack on the soldier side, but he's going to mostly line up against Andrew Thomas. As let's face it, Andrew Thomas might be able to handle him. He's been looking pretty good this season, you know. Uh, it would be nice to see them kind of uh, shrink the impact of Michael Parsons, but it's really going to have to be up to Andrew Thomas to prove that. And he's already proven that he's a very good offensive tackle. He's going to be on the team next year, no question, year after that too. Uh, but prove they could be a pro bowler or an all-pro offensive tackle, you know? Right. Yeah. And that's that's a good point too. Steve says he's no LT. He's good, but he, he's he's no LT. Uh, Nobody is correct. LT. There's only one LT. There's only one player that really changed the game, and that's him. Right there, right back there, man. I love it. Uh, and then I got my stray hand jersey as well. Nice, nice. <laughs> Couple comments before the next question. Drew says off the field issues was his issue, his, okay. his character. I mean, yes, that probably did scare the Giants away a little bit. Absolutely. Um, Mara does not go after anybody if they jaywalk. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that's, that sounds that about right. Yep. Cade McDonald bringing up some good points as well. And that's um, not the first time that's hurt the Giants in the past, Mara. No, who was the offensive lineman that was smoking the Laramie Tunsil. Laramie yes. Tunsil. Yeah, right. I wanted that guy in the draft, too. God almighty. 
Oh, man. Uh, also, Parsons will only come off the edge with D-Law or Randy inside. Uh, I think he's referring to Demarcus Lawrence because when I think D-Law, I think of Dexter Lawrence. But uh, I was thinking that, too. I'm like, uh, <laughs> are we putting him in offensive tackle now? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Lawrence Taylor can't be reciprocated. Uh, Are we know, sure he uh, wasn't talking about his own team and he wasn't talking about Demarcus Lawrence? Oh, wow. Drew just said the exact same thing. I didn't realize that. He reciprocated LT. I agree with that 100%. Uh, what were you saying, Hank? Sorry, I got a little sidetracked. These no, Lawrence no, no, Taylor no. comments are, are sure pouring was, in. Are we sure he was talking about our D-Law? Because I, I feel like he no. may have been talking about Demarcus Lawrence because he said D-Law yep. and Randy, and I think he meant Randy Gregory. That he was. Yep, Demarcus Lawrence and Randy Gregory. But – uh my Trayvon Diggs is another guy that scares me. I mean, he's going to be locked on Kenny Galladay. Uh, nine interceptions on the season. Had a good game against us the first time out. Uh, he's definitely a player to watch for me. Uh, what do you think of his game? Because last year, I believe he started. I believe he was supposed to be like a number two corner. And then now he's burst onto the scene as a number one, potentially the best in the league, one of the best in the league as of right now. Yeah. Uh, what's so good about him? Again, he's just another gem uh, draft pick by the Dallas Cowboys. His, uh, and I can't even really qualify what exactly makes him great, but just those qualities that you really need out of cornerback um, enables him to shut down wide receivers. Yeah. Right. I mean, when you're looking at a cornerback and what their ability is, I mean, to really mirror somebody with your body, that is extremely difficult, especially when, you know, you, you have to kind of move sideways and backwards a lot of the time. He excels at that, right? Just as any other great cornerback would do. Uh, as to what his impact is going to be in this game, our wide receivers have been a non factor against bad cornerbacks. Um, so I don't think it's like, you know, I don't think. Uh, he's going to really hinder the success of the Giants offense. Like we weren't going to be successful to begin with, and they could put in their backups and it would be the same exact thing Uh, to know. uh, And it's not going to be explained by their, their defensive backs. Our wide receivers just, we we just don't have a playbook that ignites our wide receivers. And again, we're we're all sick, right? Yeah. So it's, it's going to have to rely on the run game, which the Giants didn't do last week. So they're, they're going to have to figure that one out. Booker has been playing, you know, pretty good football. Better than I expected. Uh, not up to the to the contract that he's on, but again, still, uh, that he, he's going to have to be the person that they rely on to get anything done. Absolutely, yeah, for sure. Um, I believe the next thing we got to ask is regarding the Dallas Cowboys. Do you think they are a one and done team in the playoffs, or would you be, or would you see them making a potential run? Here's my thing about Dallas, right? As good as their draft picks are, as good as they are acquiring talent, I always feel like they're kind of like an all-star team that can't really actually put it together uh, and have a, a product that is um, consistent and, and finding ways to win down the stretch, right? On their best years, they it's similar to this where, you know, they'll, they'll uh, beat all the good teams, you know, they'll beat, or beat all the bad teams, you know, beat some good teams. But I, I really do feel like there's something wrong with Dallas when they get to the postseason. They can't ever seem to get it done. And I kind of feel like uh, it's going to be this uh, very similar this year. They're playing good football, uh, but I don't think they're an exceptional team that, you know, is 
Can Dak do a two-minute drill and get it done? Sure, but I I don't know if he can. Like I feel like if they're going to play a team like Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you know, you got Tom Brady. He's more experienced in the playoffs. Um, I, I again, I don't feel like Dallas is really uh, like a team that is uh, game planning is giving them the competitive advantage. They just put their best players out there, you know, go through the motions, and just because they're a better team, they they win games. But you know, to to know. Uh, credit of, of the play calling, I guess. Yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, one of the things I've often said about the Dallas Cowboys for years is that for me, to me, talent evaluation has never really been the issue. I feel like there's really one main thing that's been holding the Cowboys or one main person that's been holding the Cowboys back. And I have a feeling you know who I'm talking about. I know exactly who you're talking about. Oh, yeah. That would be Jerry Boy, especially <laughs> with his choice of coaches. Yes. Yeah, it's his, it's his coaching choice, and then how long he sticks to the coaches too is just always a head scratcher, right? And and he's yeah. very loyal to his players. He'll, he'll have players on the team longer than like you don't see it really anymore. A long snapper will be on the team for like seventeen years. You know they'll have a kicker for a while. Uh, Sean Lee, he was on the team forever. They don't give up on their on their guys, but they kind of have to do that with coaching, right? It didn't work out. With Jason Garrett, and he was there for ten years. Yeah, definitely. For sure. I think I think you pretty much said it best. And um, I think uh, there's a few more questions we definitely have to get to. And um, obviously, with since we've been talking about the Giants, I think we have to get to one or actually no, the two elephants in the room. So Mm -hmm. first off, we got to talk about Daniel Jones. Do you think is this a guy that you believe in heading into the 2022 season? So if you've seen some of our previous episodes, you know that Tom and I are very pro Daniel Jones. We don't think he's the problem. We think the whole system is pretty much been failing him not saying he's perfect yeah but we just don't think he's the problem so here's how i look at it do i think he is the problem absolutely not he doesn't have an offensive line blocking for me he doesn't have the offensive coaching that he needs right that's that 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 should be pretty obvious anybody that's saying that jones is like the reason that the offense is failing they don't know what they're talking about do i think he's the guy going forward um no i don't think he's done enough to prove himself but i don't necessarily want him off the team next year. I don't think we should move on from him yet and, and get another quarterback. The offensive line is not fixed, right? And if we get a rookie or, or somebody else in the offseason, they're going to get crushed behind the offensive line as well. So, you know, it will, we're, I just feel like for the time being, even though I don't feel like he's the guy, might as well just keep him for now. It might as well just keep him and, and, and focus on fixing that offensive line. They fo- fix the offensive line, and next year Jones still is improving his worth. That's when we move on and we go for another quarterback. But just right now, it's just not priority number one. Right. Yeah, sounds about right. And um, I think the last thing we have to ask, um, the other elephant in the room, obviously, Mm -hmm. is Joe Judge. So we know now that he's pretty much safe, and we know it's only a matter of time before Dave Gettleman is is pretty much gone. So with that all having been said – how do you feel about Joe Judge going into next year as your head coach? Are you, are you like me where you're a little nervous about bringing him back, but know that maybe he can like you know have a bit of a soul searching moment like Dwayne Charles Parcells sure. did in 1983, or do you think that this is a big mistake like a lot of Giant fans I'm hearing think? So I think the biggest problem that we have is not necessarily him coming back; it's the fact that they're going to get rid of Gettleman, bring in a new GM, and force Judge. Uh, on that general manager. We're going to miss out on a lot of 
good opportunities with general managers because the solid ones are not going to want to do that, right? Yeah. And that's really the big issue here. They're probably going to want their own guy. I don't think mm-hmm. Judge has proven that like he can elevate the team's level of play. We had, you know, we had Tom Coughlin in, in the his last couple of years. We were not playing good football, but we had no talent on the team. Not we, we didn't really have anybody that could possibly make the Pro Bowl. I, I think Eli did in 2015, but that was really about it. And yet he was still able like, to squeeze like six games out of that team. We're getting six wins, and I still feel like we have more talent than those mid 2010s teams. Not uh, up until 2015, 2016, we, we got a whole bunch of talent. Um, so, look, if he gets two coordinators in play, he's got – I like Patrick Graham. I could talk about him separately. If he gets a very good offensive coordinator, like an offensive mind guy in place, uh, to call the plays uh, and take over the the, um, the clock management, yeah, I don't really have a problem with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, no, Jones cannot be that kind of guy that, that's stuck on his philosophy. He's got to be open to outside influences, recommendations. I mean, look, Bill Belichick, he's never been stuck in any any way. Every single year that dude is looking for ways to improve his coaching. And he's been doing it for four years, right? Uh, so Judge is going to have to do the same thing. If he can do that, I don't necessarily mind it. But, again, uh, I, I just do not like the idea that we are getting rid of our general manager and not our head coach. Yeah, I am. Um, listen, even though I have been a Joe Judge defender, I don't necessarily disagree with your take. I think as much as I'd like to see Joe Judge turn things around, if you really look at the big picture, and th- this is pretty much the reason why, as much as I've defended Joe Judge, I wouldn't necessarily shed any tears or lose any sleep over it right. if the Giants changed their mind and decided to can him after the season. Like, I, yeah. I don't think it would be the worst thing in the world. No, and it, but again, it, it comes down to whoever they replace him with. Yeah, exactly. I've been keen, and I want to hear your guys' thoughts. I, I like the idea of Doug Patterson. He's kind of a proven coach. You know, we fixed our offensive line. I feel like we can at least see some lift. So if we move on from Judge, he's the guy that I want. But I'm not saying it's like, let's get rid of Judge and go after. It's just if. Uh, situation that's an interesting that's an interesting thought see Doug Peterson's a guy that's kind of been criticized mm-hmm. at the end of his time in Philadelphia I mean he had a Super Bowl ring mm-hmm. and then he experienced a slow decline over the next few years and this was with a pretty good quarterback in Carson Wentz now I'm not saying Wentz is elite but like at the same time if you look at the way the Eagles ran things you can't you can't tell me that they supported Carson Wentz any better than the Giants have tried to support Daniel Jones but in any event He's not my first choice, but it's an interesting, interesting idea. I was thinking more along the lines of maybe say Eric Bieniemy or Byron Leftwich. Sure. Nobody really talks about how how good of a mind Byron Leftwich has been with Tampa Bay Buccaneers. In fact, if you look at if you listen to what Bruce Arians has been saying, he gave his coaching staff a lot of credit for that Super Bowl win. And Byron Leftwich is probably one of the main guys that like people really don't talk about that's done a great job with that team. So yeah, no doubt. Kind of I would not be opposed line. to either enemy or, or uh, left, which they, they have both proven their worth in, in where they are right now to successfully run offenses. Uh, wouldn't mind one bit. There's just, you know, part of me it always gets a little bit worried about guys that aren't proven, right? We're kind of taking a little bit of a chance. And I, again, uh-huh. Pedersen wasn't perfect. He's not a flawless coach, but you know, he, he proved that he can take a team to the mountaintop and, and still one, uh, got to their teams to playoffs in the couple next years, even though uh, he was a little banged up. So I'm going to disagree a little bit mm-hmm. um, as far as the GM goes. Uh, I, I think you could 
elevate a guy like a Kyle O'Brien potentially. I know they created a position for him. I do think he played a hand in us getting Kenny Galladay. You could go after a Scott Pioli or some somebody who has, you know, been in that New England system. I don't think we're limiting ourselves as much as people think. I'm under the boat that Joe Judge is going to be here for a while. Um, and I think he deserves to be here for a while because he really has been dealt a raw card. Sure. Um, I like yeah. his attitude and the way he's been working with this football team. The problem is he inherited a team that was driven to the ground by Dave Gettleman. And he's like, it's the timing. I think that's making people concerned about judge. I think it's less about Joe judge and more about the timing and where the organization is at. Right. I think we could all agree on that. He has made some head moves. Uh, I would lean more towards you Mike, with a Doug Peterson hiring rather than a Byron Leftwich because Peterson has that experience as Mm -hmm. a head coach already. And plus, he is very familiar with the NFC East. He's won a Super Bowl. He could give us some inside information on Philadelphia. But I, I I wouldn't be opposed to a young offensive mind. Like, you know, but we'll see what happens, right? It's all left to be seen. And I do want to punch some comments here. Uh, Let's see. Steve brought up earlier he likes Sertan better than Diggs because Diggs will take chances and can be beat at times, kind of like in a modern Asante Samuel just sure. a little bit. I, I do see where he's coming from with that. Drew Trammell says Jones' accuracy and decision-making is horrible. Um, well, to an you extent – You have to of the line and do that. To an extent you're correct, but when you can barely get past mm-hmm. your first progression uh, – you know, you could only critique the quarterback so much. And, and, and it you starts know, to become won. a whole team problem. Yeah. But yeah, they weren't really running an offense, I feel like, for Jones that made sense for him. When I watched Green, uh, Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay for a while, he would do the uh, – it was always always play action. He's rolling out of the pocket. So even though he had a yeah. great offensive line, they're almost not factoring the play anyway. I never got why the Giants weren't doing that. They would do yeah. Jones in the pocket, and Saquon was right next to him blocking him. That didn't make sense for either of the two. Right. Yeah. And look, I, I'm not sold on Jones yet either. Um, I like him. I want him to be the guy as I do Joe judge, but I'm not laying my eggs into those baskets at this time. Uh, Another comment, shout out to Deanna saying, go big blue. As always, Um, Deanna. Yep. (laughs) Uh, Steve, it's not all Jones fault. You can't be accurate running for your life on your back every other play. And, you know, that kind of debunks the Russell Wilson argument some fans have been trying to make because you're going to limit yourself from building an offensive line by allocating all this money to Russell Wilson because Dave Gettleman's backloaded so many damn contracts. <laughs> right, um, right. Well, yeah, he spent, they, money like, he spent money like a freshman year college student using a credit card for the first time. <laughs> On things that didn't matter, right? That's that's what right. it feels like. Yeah, exactly. Um, good players are getting elite money and, and, you know, bad players are getting good money. I, well, look, yeah, the, the, that's the problem with the Russell, Will, the Russell Wilson thing. Like, if we had an offensive line that was completely set, go for it. I wouldn't mind if they traded away right. mm-hmm. two picks, but we're not really in that position. We're not the Buccaneers pre Brady, and we're not the Broncos pre Peyton Manning. We have serious holes, namely the offensive line. I would like to see that completely fixed and not a factor uh, before we go after our next franchise quarterback. Absolutely. You couldn't have said that any better. 
Now, uh, Spartan Mike, a couple more things before we let you go here. Just want to roll over. Uh, so Dallas, they're coming off a win against the Washington football team, 27 to 20. Uh, however, Washington was without Logan Thomas and Scary Terry. They were not available. Prescott did throw two picks in this game. Uh, that Dallas defense did have five sacks, though, two from rookie linebacker Micah Parsons. And the Cowboys this weekend, they have an opportunity, folks, to clinch a playoff berth and win the division. Now, when we're looking at the previous matchup back in week five, 44 to 20, doesn't look so hot, right? We have to remember that was the game where pretty much everybody got hurt, right? That was the Kadarius Tony coming out party, 10 catches for 189 yards. And it's a damn shame. He will likely miss this game because Spartan Mike, you were 100% right before when you said, if we had Kadarius Tony, that's the guy because he could exploit this right. Dallas, this Dallas defense and their slot corner, whoever it is, can't keep up with Kadarius Tony. You want to get him an open space and, who the hell's going to get an open space on Sunday? Kenny Galladay, Sterling Shepard? No. No, nobody can get the yards after the catch like Tony can if he gets going. Yeah, it's tough. It's re- And this this offense alone is only averaging 17.5 points a game, so it's not very promising. And, you know, I, I'm still very concerned about being able to cover Dalton Schultz. The middle of the field is always open. We can't cover tight ends. That's been a motto since – God knows Forever. when. Since we won the Super Bowls. I mean, I mean, Jason Witten, the, the nightmares that guy created for us. Uh, you guys interviewed Chase Blackburn uh, in the past as well. He's the longest tenured linebacker the Giants have had since Lawrence Taylor. So uh, I never, I, I didn't even think about that. That was yeah. before I got on. Yeah, they, they, uh, yeah, that makes sense now that I'm thinking about it and running the numbers. What about right. Armstead? Wasn't Armstead a Giant for a while? He didn't. Armstead was 93-01. to 01. Yeah, we have to do some researching now. because So I count Blackburn 05-12. to 12. I don't count the time that he was out. Armstead was 93-01. To to Eight years? 05-12. Yeah. It's about the same amount, but you get the point. Right. Yeah, it, yeah I was going to say, how can you not show some love to Jesse Armstead? He's one of the more underrated Giants. <laughs> yeah, because he didn't win a Super Bowl with us, though. They, they kind of get forgetting about, you know. Yeah. Um, last time out, there were some issues on the field against the Cowboys, though. I mean, uh, Tony threw a punch at KZ. Evan Ingram had that issue with J. Ron Kerr. So I really don't know what to expect. I mean, we, we talked about the players on the COVID list. We didn't even mention all of them. O'Shane Zimmon, I mean, he, who cares about him, right? Yeah, uh, he's, he's Cam, never proven himself. Cam Brown, Adoree Jackson. Uh, I really jinxed Adoree Jackson. Uh, you should have seen the show we had one week, Mike. I was saying, well, the guy we're most concerned about getting hurt on the defense this year has been one of the few guys who's been healthy every game, and then the next week he gets hurt. So I really I really jinxed Adoree. So I'm sorry, Adoree Jackson, if you're – if you're listening, but uh no Tom, then, I don't don't blame yourself. Anything that can go wrong with our franchise will go will wrong. Is it weird how often injuries come become an issue for the Giants? Like I just feel like we it happens to us more frequently than other teams. Yeah. It's it's a real shame and it's part of the risk that we took. We drafted, we signed a lot of injury prone players. Mm-hmm. That's what we did this offseason and we took those risks, and quite frankly, we swung and missed. And, you know, everyone wants to blame Sully Gentleman, you know, Joe Judge, John Matt. Everybody has to take some blame in that. But No doubt. 
Uh, man, I'm just looking at who Dallas has on their line. Really wishing we drafted Zach Martin back in 2014 instead of Odell. Um, could have extended Eli's career a little bit. But, Mike, yeah. who is one player you would steal from Dallas? Uh, I have a couple players in mind, but who's one player that you would steal from this football team? Well, you know what? Right now, to uh, I, I feel like if I could steal one player so I can move this team in the direction uh, forward – and focus on other things is Micah Parsons. If we can get that yeah. edge that we've been missing for a while, then I actually think our defense is pretty much set when they're healthy. Uh, and then, like the Giants can go in the off season, just focus on the offensive line, just focus on finding that offensive coordinator that can get it done. And then, you know, if Jones doesn't prove himself in 22, 23, you go after a uh, another quarterback. That's why I would go with Parsons. But they do have talent all over the field, and I feel like you know I, I could pick ten guys that I I, I like. You know, any one of their offensive linemen would do just fine. So, absolutely. Hank, what about you? Oh, gosh. Like, I, I wanted to try to go differently than you guys, but I don't really think there's anyone else I could have taken. Micah Parsons, I mean, I would have, I would have totally loved to have drafted this guy. I know, not that I was opposed to trading down, it was just the way they used that pick. But in any event, I think that's pretty obvious. It's Micah Parsons. Yep. So last time in week five, I said Zach Martin. I'm not going to do that again. Both of you picked Micah Parsons, so I'm not going to do that and make it a clean sweep, although he would be the player we would need the most, in my opinion, defensively. Yeah, right. um, I'd steal Tony Pollard. I, I, I would steal Tony Pollard, and here's why. Ooh. He's the type of running back I'd like to have. Mm-hmm. A guy who runs north and south, doesn't dance everywhere. You don't have to worry about giving him $20 million a year in a, a year or two because you know John Mara more than likely is going to want to do it because Barkley mentioned he doesn't want to go anywhere and that's going to cripple us yet again so why not steal Tony Pollard now that issue's out the window right sure I think he's a serviceable running back he ate us up the last couple times we played so you know that that's one player I would consider stealing I like Tony Pollard a lot he is coming off that injury and part of that one two punch with Ezekiel Elliott um, but you know, running behind Zach Martin, Lael Collins, and Connor McGovern will help you out. I know Tyron Smith is out with that ankle injury, but it, right. it's it, it's going to be an issue stopping the run. That is definitely one of my keys to the game on Sunday. We got to stop the run. Yeah, we got to contain them. Otherwise, there's 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 no chance. There's no chance of winning this game. We got to pressure Prescott to stop the run. Right? Absolutely. Well, oh, on well, the front seven. And Quincy Roche, we, we didn't even talk about him, too. He's got to compliment Ojolari. Yep. You know, Dallas is averaging 29 points a game for a reason, right? But, um, Mike, do you want to give us a final score prediction here before we let you go? Uh, I think the final score is going to be Dallas uh, 37 uh, and then the New York Giants uh, 19. Okay. okay. I'm going to say – you know what? I'm going to say uh, Dallas Cowboys 31, New York Giants uh, 17. Sorry, I wish I were more optimistic. We all do. All right. I'm going Dallas as well. I think Dallas scores uh, 31. I think the Giants are going to score 20. 
So at least you're a little bit more generous than I was in the points margin. <laughs> I'm trying to trying to be optimistic here, Hank. You can only do so much. You know, it, it's tough as content creators. We go out and we put these shows out every week, and, and your team sucked for the past decade. It's not easy, right? So I feel you. But you know what? We're always going to have people that want to talk Giants football. They're they're you know Giants family among us, right? Everybody got in the comment section. We feel the same way in New York Giants rush. It's like the one thing that that keeps us together, you know. But when the Giants were good, I wasn't doing this. I had a dormant Twitter, and you know, I, I I have I have found family out here by by getting more involved in the Giants community, and you know, as, as much as things suck, you know, I, I appreciate you know the the people that I look forward to on Twitter every day that I interact with. Man, it really really makes my day. And you do a great job. You know, I've been following yeah, your good. account for a little bit now. And I, I think, you know, keep doing what you're doing. We really appreciate you taking the time to uh, talk with us tonight. Uh, where can the people find you on social media and New York Giants Rush? Uh, on social media, they could just uh, – my Twitter handle is kind of what it says right there, at SpartanMike96. Um and then New York Giants rush, you know, I'll, I tend to post uh, an article every week, every other week. I have figured out what it is that I want to write upon next because right. multiple topics I can dissect and I don't want to go after the same thing. So, um, but yeah, that's pretty much it. And, uh, you know, if you guys you stay tuned for our podcast next week, we're, we're interviewing uh, Leonard Marshall. So, oh, yeah. Very nice. Wow. Very nice. Number seven got his Got his autograph about five years ago, I think. Yeah, he, he's awesome. Remember yeah. Leonard Marshall? Wow. Yeah. That's, that's a throwback. But Number 70. Uh, yeah. Yes, sir. Number big, 70. Big, big, big number 70. Uh, had that big I, um, had that big hit on Joe Montana pretty oh, much yeah. his time with the Niners. I love watching that. I love watching that replay. <laughs> yeah. That wasn't even a dirty hit. It was just it was just, no, he just ass. That's football. something that we need more day, uh, nowadays, don't we? Taking them down, right? Oh, yeah. Joe Montana, crazy. Uh, But, Mike, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. And uh, we'll have to get you back on again in the future. But uh, until then, uh, let's hope for, you know, some unexpected results on Sunday. We can get a little positive. And uh, let's go Big Blue. Absolutely, guys. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. We'd love to come back on. Let's go Giants. And maybe they could pull an upset. Fingers crossed. Take care, my friend. Take care, guys. That was Spartan Mike from New York Giants Rush. What a show we've had here tonight. couple comments. Steve says Pollard is a nice weapon for the Cowgirls. I agree. Uh, Barbara <laughs> Kelly with the thumbs up. Thank you so much, Barbara. Really appreciate the support. Love Leonard Marshall. I love Leonard Marshall as, as well. Um, I say it all the time. I wish I was like 15 years older so that I could have really – Enjoy yeah. those giants. Leonard Marshall, Jim Burt. Both guys of those guys. Time. Both of those guys hurt Joe Montana. Jim Burt did so in 86. Yeah. Um, Jesus. Carl Banks. And, you know, come Harry, to Harry Carson. Harry Carson. Yep. Carl Banks. Um, Gary Reasons. Yes. Gary that Reasons really had that big run, run in that same championship. Blue VCR on last Pepper week. Johnson. About this Pepper Johnson, yep, yep. Steve just posted that name actually, but yeah, Pepper, Pepper Johnson. Johnson good that Lord, up. Thomas Johnson is his real name, but yep. Um, man, a couple other notes that uh, we have an injury report. So 
Ben Bredesen did not practice today. Dory Jackson, Graham Gano's battling a non-COVID-related illness. He already had COVID last year. Barkley limited with an ankle in addition to Leonard Williams and Andrew Thomas, both limited. Stephen Parker and Reggie Ragland both have illnesses as well. Hopefully that is not COVID-related. And then Austin Johnson battling a foot injury. Daniel Jones will not play again this weekend dealing with a neck issue. And then for Dallas, the only guy who's probably not playing for them is their starting left tackle, Tyron Smith. But that is a big loss. That is definitely a big loss for them. Hopefully the Giants can take a little bit of advantage of that. But uh, Hank, wanted to thank you so much for uh, joining me here tonight. Uh, Hopefully, you know, we didn't talk about this before, but hopefully the Giants can get off the field on third down because the Chargers converted 50% of them last week. I mean, it's, it goes without saying. If they don't get off the field yeah. on third down, then you got no chance of winning. Simple as that. But as always, Tom, always a pleasure. Thank you again so much for bringing me on every week. And I always look look forward to talking Giants football with you, win or loss, regardless of how our season's going. And uh, I'm looking forward to this Sunday's game, even though I'm probably not going to be happy with the result at the end. But regardless of that, always a pleasure. Thank you again, Tom. No problem, no problem. But let's be positive. Steve says, great show, fellas. Steve, thank you so much for being one of our top fans. We really appreciate you and all of your opinions. Keep the comments coming every week. We love you, man. Uh, Folks, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Big Blue Avenue. Uh, Tune in next week. We're going to have a Christmas special on Thursday night. That's going to be a lot of fun. December 23rd. We're going to preview. Yep. Uh, We're going to. Who are they playing week 16? Philadelphia. We're going to be playing Philadelphia. We're going to be taking a trip down the New Jersey Turnpike, Hank. And I know you're going to love that show. We're going to have a lot of video clips played next Thursday night. But, folks, thank you all very much for watching. Make sure to subscribe to us on all of our social media platforms. And one more time, let's go Big Blue. Blue.